Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. My world was ripped apart. Nothing seemed to matter anymore. I felt abandoned. I wondered if it was my fault. I became angry and bitter. I began to act out, have problems in school, get in trouble, behavior stuff. I, over the next couple of years, I began to make poor choices. Started hanging out with a different crowd of friends. Started drinking. Started smoking pot. I quit high school just before the end of my sophomore year. I got my girlfriend pregnant when I was 15. She was 14. Her mom forced her to have an abortion. That was a very difficult time for both of us. I, uh, my life just began to spin more and more out of control. I broke into my mom and her new husband's house, stole some alcohol. He turned me in. I got in trouble, had to go to court. I got sent to a boy's home in Napa, Idaho. It was a horrible place. I hated it. I ran away from there and was gone a few days. Didn't have any place to go. I came back, talked to the people there, and I got sent to St. Anthony Youth Service Center. While I was there, I got my GED. I uh, was there about six months. I came back when I was about 16. Then I really started to get into heavier drugs. Not being in school, wasn't really anybody my age to hang out with that was up to any good. Got into, uh, got into a lot of drugs. Started selling cocaine, pot, mushrooms, LSD, whatever I could find. I started using so much cocaine that I'd pass out. I'd have seizures. And as soon as I came to, I'd get back up and do more. When I was 17, pretty much every cop in the area knew who I was and what I was up to. I was trying so hard to fill the hole inside and didn't even realize that I had a hole inside. There was no amount of drugs, girls, or partying that would fill the hole. In the summer of my 18th birthday, I was partying with some friends up at Lake Ponderé. I broke my neck in a diving accident. I was sent to Sacred Heart Hospital They were shocked that I was alive, and they couldn't believe that I wasn't paralyzed from the neck down. I retained only minor paralysis in my left hand to this day. Two weeks after I got out of the hospital, still had the collared neck brace on, I was driving a friend's car with some buddies, drunk and high. I hit a power pole. I walked away. No one got hurt. 
few days later, I was with some friends coming home from a football game in Troy, Idaho. We hit black ice. The car spun around, rolled off the highway, and went halfway through the windshield and back in. The seat that I was sitting in was folded in half where the roof was smashed. I was cut up and bloody, but again, I walked away. I look back, and it's clear to me that the enemy wanted my life. Now things get a little crazy. (laughs) A couple weeks later, I was with a couple of guys I was selling LSD to. And we were high, and we were at the one guy's house over by Princeton, Idaho. And um, I didn't really know what he was doing, and uh, he started summoning demons. I could feel the evil presences all around me. They were trying to enter my body. I was petrified. I asked him to give me a ride home. I told him I didn't want any part of it, and he wouldn't give me a ride home. So I called my father. It was 3 in the morning. He had to get up at 5 to go to work. He asked if I was on drugs, and I said, yes, just come get me. And he did. No questions asked. It's a 30-minute drive each way. I got home, and the evil presences came back. And the same thing. I just felt like they were trying to enter my body. I was scared to death. Instinctively, I knew that it was, it was demonic. I grabbed my children's Bible that I had never read before, and I went and sat in my bathroom, and I just began to say, Jesus, 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 over and over again while holding the Bible. That seemed to keep them at bay. This went on for many hours until the sun came up. For the next several days, every time I fell asleep, it was the same thing. I would have demonic nightmares. I had spiritual attacks in my sleep. One night I was having a dream that this blue demon that looked like it was a big blue flame, kind of in the form of a man, was sitting on my chest, choking me. I tried to scream. I then woke up and could still see the demon for a few seconds. It disappeared moments later. When it did, my body started to move up and down in my waterbed. And again, I called out to Jesus, petrified. The next day, I got a call from a family friend. He was a lieutenant sheriff for Latah County. And I thought, oh no, what, what have they found out I've done now? I thought I was in trouble. He said that the Lord had laid me on his heart, and he couldn't get me out of his mind. He wanted to come talk to me. I said, okay. He came out to our house in Deary, asked me what had been going on in my life, and I was thinking, like, you have no idea. I told him the story, and to my surprise, he told me I wasn't crazy. I wasn't losing it. He told me it was real. Now I thought he was crazy. He asked me if I wanted to ask Christ into my life, and I accepted. He told me to read Psalms, Proverbs, and he read to me Ephesians 6, chapter 12. Chapter 6, verse 12. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of dark of this dark age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That became the armor of God. Came to be my favorite place in the Bible. Still is today. For the next year, if the doors were open at the church, I was there. I couldn't get enough of God. I found what filled the hole inside. It was Christ Jesus. Life had meaning and made sense again. And as time went on, then came the bad choices again. I thought I could hang out with some old friends. I just wouldn't do what they did. And then I thought I could smoke a little pot. I have Jesus now. I could handle it. This went on for a couple years. Trying to live in both worlds. Living in the world, trying to feed my flesh, partying on Friday and Saturday nights, going to church on Sunday. But there was a problem. The hole came back. No matter what I tried to fill it with, no matter how much alcohol, pot, one-night stands, cars, toys, whatever, at the end of the day, I was empty. The personal relationship was gone. I had moved to St. Mary's. I was doing construction work. I was on the way back from a job at Conklin Park in the middle of winter. I had taken a shortcut through the park. It was frozen in the morning. I got through fine. When I came back in the afternoon, the sun had melted the ice on the road and water was running down the tire tracks. The truck I was driving was going too fast down the hill. The truck began to slide. There was a corner coming up, and I wasn't going to make it. As I went over the edge, I again cried out, Jesus, help me. It was about a 50 to 60 foot vertical drop. The truck went end over end twice, hit a tree, spun sideways, and rolled another 100, 150 feet or so. Came to rest right side up against some trees. I woke up as if I was in a dream. I was all disoriented and I was very cold. I fell out of the mangled door and fell back in the snowbank. I just stared at the mangled pickup. The entire truck was smashed. The bed was flat. All the glass was broken out, totally mangled, except for where I was sitting. The cab barely had a scratch where I was sitting. I again walked away. I felt like I'd been hit by a train. A few months later, I moved to Lewiston to uh, attend the industrial electronics program at LCSE. I told God I was ready to get my life straight. I was ready for a wife and a family. He disagreed. Some years passed, and I decided to go to Alaska to do construction. Again, I told God 
was ready for a family. No answer. I began to seek the Lord again, harder than ever. After that construction season, around wintertime, I came home. I went to Las Vegas to work where it was warm for the winter until season started again in Alaska. I told God I was getting set in my ways, and I thought I was okay on my own, but I still wanted a family. One month after I moved to Las Vegas, I met my wife, Tamara. I knew she was the one I was going to marry before I ever met her, when I had first heard of her. That was March 12, 2000, on my birthday. We got married a few months later, that summer. We began a family. When she graduated nursing school, we moved to Idaho. We had three beautiful girls. Life was the way I had hoped it to be. In November 2010, we were living north of Coeur d'Alene. I was building a shop at our house. One of my employees was having trouble setting the string line across the trusses the way I wanted. So I was upset and I went storming up the side of the building. Across the roof that was partially framed. Two of the purlings, when they were framing them, got nailed on the wrong side of the layout. So I had previously instructed them to fix them. All the nails were pulled out, but they left one while they waited for help for someone to hold it while they relocated it. That was the one I stepped on as I stormed up the roof. As I fell through, I caught the purling in front of me with one hand. Just enough, I couldn't hold on. I caught it just enough to swing my body horizontal as I fell, about 20 feet onto frozen ground. When I woke up, I could feel my pelvis broken completely in two. I felt all broken in my chest. The ambulance soon arrived, and I knew I wasn't going to make it to the hospital. As a woman in the ambulance took my vitals, she got scared, called the hospital, gave a description of me, and then gave me an injection. I couldn't breathe. I knew I wasn't going to make it. I made my peace with the Lord and was ready to go. I asked the ambulance crew to give a message to my family. I asked them to tell my girls that all I cared about when they grew up was that they had a relationship with Jesus and that would make me proud of them. And to tell my wife to find a good Christian man and remarry someone that would take good care of her and my girls. When I thought I only had moments left in my life, two things mattered. That I was right with God and that my family was taken care of. At the end of the day, that's all that matters. Not houses, not cars, not clothes, friends, status, or anything of this world. 
ever since that accident, I've looked at life different. I want to serve the Lord instead of myself. I'm Jared Yeomans, and I'm second. Jared and I had not known each other very long when he told me his story. Actually, the longer and more detailed version of the story. In my line of work, I often get to sit with people and hear their stories. Many times I've sat with people as they have bragged about their sinful exploits. I didn't hear any of that in Jared's story. Instead, it was with tears and the telltale tones of sorrow that he told me about the three R's, ruin, rot, and regret, that all those decisions brought into his life. But each time that we would talk and I'd hear more of the story, he would keep bringing it around to the place of... uh, telling me with clear joy on his face and in his voice that he knows that God has forgiven him of all of his past. So his story starts with all this ugly stuff and the, and the hurt and the sin. But the story always comes to the place of his recognition of his need for God him crying out to the Lord, the Lord forgiving him, and of him saying, I know that I've been forgiven. The Bible makes it very clear that God extends the very same offer to every human being on the planet, that if you will admit your need for him and for forgiveness of your sins, he will come running your direction, offering both himself and a clean slate. It's pretty good news, isn't it? I prayed for Jared this week because I knew it was going to be hard for him to tell his story. Bringing up the past can be painful. It can be very embarrassing. He has a beautiful wife and three beautiful daughters, and they probably don't much enjoy hearing part of the story. But Jared and Tamara are raising their three girls to be followers of Jesus Christ from their very earliest days. Jared and Tamara, I want you to know, as one of your pastors, I'm very proud of you. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep raising those girls to follow Jesus. Keep drawing closer to him yourselves. And um, know that the Father is proud of you as well. The Bible's New Testament is uh, an amazing thing. And as I thought about Jared and his story earlier this week, uh, there's a, a passage from the New Testament that came to mind, one that no doubt has come to mind for Jared time and again as he has been reminded of his past. A man named Paul wrote to a number of individuals in a number of different churches. Those are recorded as some of the, the books in the New Testament. They're really letters. Uh, He wrote to some people in Turkey this explanation of a person's spiritual condition when they are locked into sinful patterns of behavior. He writes, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, a reference to Satan, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 
All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Not the most encouraging Bible verses you've ever heard. Shattered family life, rage, crime, jail, addiction, personal shame, loads of regret. Those are all words and ideas from Jared's story. Jared, uh, do you think it's a, a fair way to sum that part of your life up by saying you were dead in your transgressions and sins? Dead is not uh, a pretty word. The good news is it's not the final word. There was another word that Jared became familiar with, and it is what I've said so many times already in the two minutes I've been speaking to you, forgiveness. Dead is not the last word for Jared, and it's not the last word for you. It doesn't have to be. The Bible makes this offer of forgiveness available to every person who will dare to accept it. If you take a look through the pages of the scripture, you will see many different times God is trying to make this idea clear, and he's, he's offering this gracious gift of forgiveness of your past. Listen to this. This is written by a, a guy named John. He was a, a, one of the best friends of Jesus during the, that period of Jesus' life that we read about in the Gospels, but he lived decades longer, and as an old man, he wrote this. If we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. John was expressing a very old truth that had unfortunately been forgotten, this idea of forgiveness. God had sent a messenger to his people, now get this, 735 years before John got around to uh, being born on this planet. And he sent that prophet with a message to his people. That messenger got so excited about the promise of forgiveness from God that he had this this outburst that was joyful. That wasn't real common among the prophets. They were usually talking about condemnation and focusing on God's wrath. But this particular messenger, when he heard this message that God was saying, hey, I need to remind my people of, he had this sort of outburst of joy. Listen to it. Who is a God like you? who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. Remnant of his inheritance is just saying however many of God's people are actually left after what sin has done to them. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but listen, delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. The Bible isn't really one book. It's, it's a collection of 66 ancient manuscripts of all different kinds, books, letters, um, poetry, some songs, uh, some collections of laws. But all of those books together really have one very important theme, and it's that God doesn't just forgive people, but he delights in forgiving people, all of whom have uh, worked an awful lot of death into their lives. Maybe your story doesn't have quite as many wild and crazy turns as Jared. Good grief, you were a wreck brother. Maybe your life doesn't have all those twists and turns, but can you see how the decisions in your life have worked a little bit of death into your life? The scriptures say that everyone who recognizes that is standing on the verge 
of one of the best realizations of their life, that they can be forgiven of their sins. So that word forgiven, I think, ends up displacing the word death. But the good news is that uh, forgiven is not the final word in the story. It, it's a, if it were, forgiven would be way better than death. Agreed? Okay. But it's not the final word in the story. God says that he will forgive us of our sins, but he also says that when he does that, he is not willing to simply, you know, dust off his hands and, and walk away. Instead, he wants to start something like a very real and personal relationship with you. There was this older man that Jared talked about who cared about him an awful lot and uh, shared the good news with him that God loves him and that he's willing to forgive him of all his sinful choices, but also shared with him the idea that, that he wants to have more than a legal relationship as the forgiver. He wanted to enter into a friendship with Jared and walk out life with him and, and help him start to make some of those personal choices that bring real life, real life into Jared's everyday life. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is, is about how tight that relationship is. Listen, um, another passage of scripture, the way that um, the, the same guy, Paul, that I talked about earlier, described it in a letter to some of his Greek followers. The words will appear on the screen as well. He said, it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us set his seal of ownership on us, and, and put his spirit into our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Did you catch that powerful idea in there? The idea is that the specific kind of relationship that God wants to have with the followers of Jesus is this. He wants to send his spirit to actually live inside of you. He'll literally send his spirit to live inside of you. And he had said that he would give his spirit to anyone who reaches his direction in faith as as sort of a spiritual promise ring or engagement ring that would guarantee the things that are to come. In other words, it was him saying, it is my intention for us to go the distance together, for us to have a full, long life together. The Christian message is much better than just the message of forgiveness and just the message of a friendship that, you know, lasts through the bumps in life. Dead isn't the final word. Forgiven isn't the final word. There's another word, and it's a big one. This is the last word that I want to share with you this morning. The word is transformed. I want to show you one last excerpt from Paul's letters, this one written to some people in Rome. Listen to how Paul described this life in connection with God. He said, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So Paul was was urging his Roman friends to consider Jesus' sacrifice, his death, and then to respond to him in a certain way by offering themselves, their lives, to God. Not as dead sacrifices. God didn't need one of those. He already had plenty of those. Instead, he says, why don't you offer your lives as living sacrifices to God? Put another way, he encouraged them to open their lives up to God and let God fill them with his life, God's literal life, so that you could now live like you were born to live long ago. 
And he also encouraged them not to go back to the deathly stuff. Jared talked about a couple of uh, return trips. One of um, the, the favorite verses that I learned when I was a little kid, grew up in church, was as the pig returns to its wallow, and the dog returns to its vomit, so the fool returns to his folly. Things little boys love, right? Yeah, it's a great Bible verse. It's just horrible life. And if you, you get to know Jared well enough, where you can ask him about that, that time in his life when he went back to the wallow, when he went back to the vomit, it was some of the most broken, abject, sorrowful times in his life. When God calls us, he, he calls us to accept the good news of forgiveness. It, it displaces that death word. But he calls us to something more than forgiveness. He says, I want to transform you. I want to put my Holy Spirit in your heart. I want to come and actually do life with you. Heartbeat for heartbeat, step for step, stride for stride, thought for thought. And when you invite him into your life, you must understand you are not inviting him in simply to get a free pass on hell and hellish life in this world. It's a package deal. You are asking for forgiveness, but you are also asking and accepting, asking for and accepting a God who comes in to transform, to make us really, really new. Jared, I want to thank you for being willing to share your story. I could tell you were uh, struggling with emotion that about got you a couple of times. Both on the sorrow end and on the joy end. I've come to know you pretty well over the last year. I can't believe what you used to be like. You know why? Because God has transformed you. You're a different man. Um, Todd, you've gotten to know Jared. Could you believe that? It's former guy. It's not the same guy who worships with us, is he? No. What the Lord has done for Jared, forgiveness, new life. He said, my life has a purpose now. And a ridiculous load of blessings, too. That's what the Lord wants to offer you today. Christine has told her story. It's a story of death, forgiveness, transformation, right? A bunch of teens have told their stories. It's stories of death and forgiveness and transformation. Listen, God's only got one story, okay? He just tells it again and again and again and again in the lives of as many people as will give him a chance. So how about it today? Would you like to give God a chance? I'm talking to two groups of people right now. The first is this. If you're a person who said, I've been checking out this whole God, Jesus, church, religion, faith thing for a long time, and um, I think I heard enough today to say that's exactly what I want. If so, uh, we're going to pray a prayer in just a moment, and I want to encourage you to just mean it from your heart. Pray it with me. Mean it from your heart, and you will get to experience what Jared has experienced, uh, the move from death to life. And once you're in that life spot, you get to experience the transformation over time that makes you a whole new man or woman. But I also want to speak today to people who maybe said yes to Jesus a long time ago, but you walked as far as forgiveness and said, that's good. I like the forgiveness. I don't, I don't get punished for all the stuff that I did back then. 
But you live today caught in these repetitive patterns of sinful living that continue to bring regret and rot and ruin into your life. Maybe somebody only told you half of the gospel, or maybe you only heard half of it, but I want you to hear the second part today. Transformation is part of the deal. He comes to offer you forgiveness, a clean slate for your past, but also a new start for the future. That, that first verse that I read was 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to do two things. Forgive us of our sins, that's past tense, and to cleanse us, present tense and forward, from all unrighteousness. God wants to do a transforming work in your life today. If you've only allowed him to do a forgiving work, you haven't got the best stuff yet. The very best stuff is being set free from the things that once owned you. And there's freedom today in relationship with God through the Holy Spirit who comes to live in our hearts. So here's what I do. What I want to do. I want to ask you to stand with me if you would. Bow your heads and close your eyes. And uh, let's, let's first talk. Um, bow your heads, close your eyes. Just give one another privacy for making decisions. Um, typically, I, I, I'll say if, um, if you want to pray this prayer, why don't you just kind of secretly give me the sign? Slip your hand up in the air, back down. And um, I'm, I'm going to do that again today. But I want you to know, I'm also going to invite you, if you would like to, to come and kneel at this altar, this wooden bench right here in front of the church. We call an altar. And it's a place that's just reserved for praying. I don't know why, but it seems like whenever we kneel in front of a group of people just saying, okay, I'm not hiding anymore. And, and there's something about humbling ourselves before God, kneeling. The, the spiritual breakthroughs happen at these altars. They're, they're, they're not magic, but they're sacred. So let's, let's do it this way first. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I want to ask today, um, if you'd rather just do it like this. Today you're saying, I heard enough to know that I want that kind of relationship that Jared has. Where my, my, my record can be cleansed, but so can my conscience. And, 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 and I want the assurance of forgiveness, but I also want a new life. I want to be a different man. I want to be a different woman. And, and pastor, I'd like for you to kind of pray that prayer. And I want you to know I'm going to be praying it too. So just giving one another privacy, if, if that's your, your thought this morning, would you just slip your hand up in the air and right back down? I'll pray it with you. I promise I'm not going to make you step out, okay? I'm not going to call you out either. One, okay? Then I also want to just offer this option, and, and i got to tell you, I think it's a better one, and it's to open the altars and say, if today you want to take that step into relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to come right now. Just take five seconds to make up your mind. If the Holy Spirit's tugging at your heart, you decide. Stay or go with him. Which would you like to do? All right, I'll let you think about it. Um, second group that I want to, th- that I spoke to this morning. Hey, Christians. When, when I was talking about the, the, the business of being, you know, wonderfully, so to speak, stuck in forgiveness, in that place where you've, you know that Jesus has forgiven you, but boy, life sure hasn't changed much, and you find yourself caught in this cycle of sinful behaviors that make you ashamed of yourself, that make you feel defeated, and that many times make you question whether you're really a Christ follower or not. And today, you're saying, I've had enough of that. I want to be transformed 
I want to be changed. I want real new life by inviting God's Holy Spirit to come and live in me. I know that can be an embarrassing thing to admit, but good grief, we're all on the same quest here, okay? Nobody here is going to judge you today. But I want to open these altars and say, today, those who are seeking transformation, there is a place to come and receive it. Would you like to come? There's no music playing. It's awkward silence when I quit talking. But there's a transforming God who wants to offer you new life today. Why don't you take five seconds to decide if that's what you want. All right, I see folks coming from the balcony. Yeah? Come on down, guys. Good. See, you won't be alone. You seeking transformation today? There's a God who's going to meet you here. Come right ahead. Right on. Why don't you pray with me? Lord, um, all I can see is hands and and some, some faces, but you see hearts. Some of the best news and some of the most frightening news that I read in the Scripture is that you look on our hearts. There have been times when I've been so ashamed of what was in my heart that I didn't find any comfort in that passage. And I sure find comfort in it today because I know there's some people who are struggling that today want to, want to give themselves over to you. Boy, there's something that's telling them to hold a little in reserve. I'm glad you can see their hearts, Lord. And I want to ask you one last time. Would you help them to make the decision to turn loose of the the, uh, steering wheel in their lives, to give themselves over to you, to accept forgiveness and transformation, new life? Would Would you just go to them and do it right now, Lord? Maybe there's somebody here who said, I'm not about to lift my hand and tell that guy what's going on in my life, but I sure would like to connect with God in the way that Jared has. Lord, since you can see their hearts, I want to ask you to go to them right now. Have the conversation they need to have about forgiveness and cleansing and a bright future and you living in them and walking with them every day. I've got these friends who've knelt here at the altar who have said, that's what I want is transformation. Lord, if the forgiveness part is re- if the forgiveness part is real, so is the promise of transformation. And so I want to ask for these who have come and knelt here today for your Holy Spirit to just come really close. They invite you to come and live in their hearts today. And they invite you to do a cleansing work while you're in there. I hear some sniffles that usually accompany tears of regret. I thank you that with forgiveness comes a cleansed conscience as well. And I pray for these who kneel here today, that when they stand up, when they take in that big, deep breath, it will be a cleansing one. Their hearts will be filled with joy, because they'll have heard from your Holy Spirit that all is well with them. 
We don't want to pray that you'd help them to make good decisions because running right back to the same friends and purposely putting themselves in the same temptations is not a good way to experience freedom. So I want to ask you to help them to make good decisions that make obedience likely. But Lord, they can they can make all the best decisions. They are still going to be dependent upon your Holy Spirit living within them to do that work that you promised in your word. So together, we, their church family, just want to ask you with them right now, Holy Spirit, come. Make a dwelling place in their hearts. Purify their hearts. Make them wholly yours today. I want to ask one more thing, Lord. Your word says that your spirit bears testimony with our spirits, that we are the sons and daughters of God. So I want to ask you to just come and do that. Don't let there be any question. While we wait in silence, I pray that your spirit would come and speak to these two today as they listen for your voice. I have faced the enemy of our souls enough times to know that when these two leave this place today, there will be um, a stalker, an enemy. He tries to convince them that they just had a little emotional overreaction today. I pray that you'd keep him at bay. As they lay their heads on their pillows at night, they would experience your spirit coming close again, saying, you're mine. I gotcha, you're mine. And filled with your Holy Spirit, they would experience your peace and a whole new approach to life tomorrow and all of the tomorrows. Ask in your holy name. Friends, I'm just going to ask you one more time because I don't think God's done here today. Seeing the faith of two teenage girls who, in front of their, their that their moms and dads and their friends and the people who've known them their whole lives have admitted, I've been stuck. And today I want to invite God's Holy Spirit to do whatever it is that he does for people like me. Cleanse me. Is there anybody else who wants to say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I need God to do that in my life. Just slip your hair, your hand up in the air and back down. Yeah, okay, I see you back there. Yep, yep, up there. Yeah, I see you. Good. Last chance today, anybody who says, um, I haven't even gotten to the place of forgiveness. I've just been checking this whole thing out, and I want to I want to ask Jesus to come and forgive me and give me a spirit. Go do the, do the whole thing like I heard today with Jared. I'm not going to make you come down here. I can't anyway, but I just want to ask anybody. Saying, I'm praying that prayer today. Cliff, would you remember me as you pray? Just slip your hand up in the air and right back down. Yeah, all right, good. I'm amazed, Lord, how you do it. Every time, almost predictably so, and yet in these delightfully different ways. Great big old North Idaho boy sitting up here in a white chair telling every mistake he ever made. And somehow you bring glory to yourself. You bring good to people.
and you inspire hope in teenage girls that they can be different, that they can be transformed, and somebody else who says, I want, I just want God to do in my life what he did in Jared's. It was my prayer at first light today that you'd get some glory because we did what we did today. And I believe you not only have glory, but you've got new sons and daughters. And you've got permission to go really, really big in their lives. Lord, together we, one more time, want to ask your blessing upon our brother Jared. You've set him apart to uh, to be a minister, and he's uh, publicly taken that first step in front of this congregation. And as he shared his testimony today, Lord, he opened himself up. But he opened himself up to being used by your Holy Spirit to inspire hope in others. So we pray you'd pour out your blessing on him. In your holy name we pray. Amen.